This is Bail Street. Crime, finance, and everything in between. Hosted by Ira Jettleson, bail bondsman to the stars, and Danny Moses of The Big Short fame. This is Bail Street. Welcome back to another episode of Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. Ira, today, you're really the guest today in a way, and then I'm going to chime in, but uh, never a dull moment. Nice on the pipes. Nice. Never a dull moment. The Epstein uh, case. Now they got Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, I want to start out by asking you a couple questions just on the federal Shoot. bail system versus the state system. Uh, what makes it federal? What makes it state? And why can't you get that bail if she were to get out on it? And what do you think is going to happen from here? Well, number one, I'm a New York state bail bondsman. So but you've I done do, other states, but you've done plenty of other states. I, no, I could write bail in any state. I can just farm it out to a different bondsman across the country. When it comes to federal bail, it's a different jurisdiction. Now, there's so many different districts. There's the Southern District, there's the Northern District, there's the Eastern District. And in this case, as Jeffrey Epstein case, uh, the Southern District of New York has taken jurisdiction over this case. Um, in Ghislaine Maxwell's situation, she is going to be uh, extradited uh, from New Hampshire and brought to New York to go in front of a judge for a bail hearing. Now, the question becomes, is it going to be the same judge? Is it going to be Richard Berman, who I actually was in front of a couple different times, including a case that I had in front of him. Um, as far as bail goes in the federal- Wait, so, Berman, so Berman does both federal, he'll oversee federal and say he doesn't care, he's agnostic. No, 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 no. No, I happened to be in front of him. I had a case that was a federal case. Okay. And um, he actually you know, uh, ruled in my favor in a case. Um, he happens to also be the same judge that ruled in the uh, Tom Brady case uh, with the NFL and also the uh, West. You talk about Inflategate or? Yes, yes, okay. yes. And, and, and also the Edelman case was also in front of Berman. But he has this case. He's, a, he's a, in my opinion, a, a very bright judge. Um, and uh, I, I loved the fact that he let the victims testify in the Jeffrey Epstein uh, bail hearing. To, to hear from the victims. And that was one of the first times I've ever heard something similar like that in, in, a, in a bail case. Um, and I don't know, and I probably assume he, if he does get this case, and I don't know what judge is going to get it, but I assume he might be getting the same uh, uh, case because it is part of probably the same indictment that he's going to let, you know, the victims again, speak their piece. And in my opinion, again, this is only an opinion. I don't think she's going to even come close to getting bail. Uh, she's been on the run for quite a while. Uh, she set up an LLC to buy the property in um, uh, New Hampshire. Um, and uh, she's been going from, you know, from country to country, uh, from Los Angeles back here and trying to, you know, uh, mislead the government until they finally, you know, sent planes over the top of her, uh, her house and, you know, break into her place at, you know, 549 in the morning where her sitting on the front steps in pajamas. Now, Rumor has it she was, uh, you know, very, very together when they came in and then later on just completely broke down. A lot of people are going to be very worried about what this woman is going to say. Um, and more than ever, um, I want to see what the Department of Corrections and the Department of Prisons both here are going to do with her safety because <laughs> you can't have any cameras going out. Uh, you can't have her near anybody on any wing. Um, and, uh, I just want to see, you know, what type of security, because she is going to be the most talked about prisoner in, in the country for the next X amount of time. 
So when, not to confuse the Bermans, but when the Southern District Attorney was removed uh, by Barr and Trump a couple of weeks ago, I called you and I said, I have a feeling this could be Epstein related, not anything else related. They thought maybe because he was going off Rudy and all this other stuff and, you know, investigating, but it was kind of odd timing um, on that. And then I'm sure this has been going on, right? This has just happened three or four days ago. I'm sure they knew where she was over a week ago when we're planning this operation, right? That just doesn't happen on a whim. Do you agree with that? I think that they, they take every precaution. Um, you know, the old saying is, is you know, you, could, you can never beat the, uh, the government and more than anything, you can't win in the feds. Um, so I think they took every precautionary situation. They wanted to make sure it was her. They wanted to make sure no one else was around, including neighbors. And they wanted to go in and make a splash and uh, make sure they got her. And they did. So, yeah, I think this, this was, a, you know, in the making for quite a while. Right. There's very powerful people that may have gone to Trump and other allies and said, hey, we, <laughs> we want to keep this girl hidden for a period of time. It's obvious that we all watch the documentary. We know what she's done. She was a huge enabler. She's as guilty probably as Epstein and helping facilitate Absolutely. Absolutely. all the stuff that's done. Probably stuff. worse. Probably worse. Right. right. So in something like this, I mean, I know it's your job and you don't have the bail here, but if there was a bail hearing for this, who is the bail bondsman? from a federal side of thing that we get this then? Would you not? There wouldn't be a bail bondsman in this case. If a judge was to grant um, the situation where she would get bail, um, 97% of the time in the, uh, in the Southern Eastern districts, yeah, you put it up through what is called PTS, which is pretrial services. So if she had five, six, seven, eight properties, she could pledge that directly with the government. Um, and the reason for that is there's not that many federal um, arraignments per day where in the state you have you know uh new york brooklyn queens bronx staten island westchester you know you could see you know five six eight hundred people through the system a day where in the feds in the southern district they might be one four or five of them you know per day which is very easy so they set up their own uh bail bond system um a lot of times the feds don't like to take co-ops and they don't like to take property out of um, you know their jurisdiction, which would be in a different country or sometimes in different states that have the Homestead Act. So that's where I could come in and kind of piece it off a little bit here and there. And I've done some cases in the, in the Southern District before, not a lot, but I could do two, three, four bails a year. In this case, in my opinion, I think the fact that she was so much hidden and running and eluding that I just don't see a judge taking a chance on giving her bail yet I don't know where she's going to be more safe. I really don't. Will she be safe in an apartment in New York City with a round-the-clock security and an ankle bracelet and home detention and a monitor on every part of her body? Or will she be safe more in, you know, um, MCC, you know, with now five guards watching her, making sure the cameras actually work? And, uh, you know, what goes on down I don't the, know. How does the female side of the prison, which I'm sure is less populated, very less like populated. that, is it run by female guards or are there yes, male? They, there's both. There's both, okay. but they have a lot more female guards that you know pat down the the inmate and you know will take them you know uh, for showers and so forth and so on. They you know the, there's a lot of uh, uh, female uh, guards. We'll come back to you in a minute, but you know there's all kinds of pictures with people that she's that her and Epstein have been with. And one, of course, all roads lead back to where, Ira? Not Tesla. <laughs> well, the pictures with Elon Musk. But, you know, 
he uh, he was seen at parties there before, made Oscar parties, could be nothing, but it got me thinking. And I started thinking, you know, I wonder if, uh, if there's going to be a PR campaign. And lo and behold, o- over the weekend, Elon's mother, Elon's friends, Elon's ex-wife come out. It's almost like they're, like you say you're guilty before you're guilty. Like, no, no, no one was even asking questions yet, but they were out there already kind of defending him like, Anything you see there is just happenstance. Anyone can bomb a picture. It's a photo bomb and all that. But anyway, so I've been so focused on the Tesla short, which I'll come back to in a minute, that there was another short that people were on for for years. And to be fully upfront, I completely missed it. I knew what the company was. It was a company called Wirecard. It was a company out of Germany. It was basically a payment processor for okay. digital payments. So it was digital payments have taken off over the last several years. You probably can guess the industries that digital payments started in. I mean- I- I'm not going to say gambling, am I? Gambling's one. Uh, Pornography. Two of my favorite subjects. Yeah, two of favorite subjects. Two, two things that always get you clients. Exactly. So, so that was one area that they were in, but that's fine. It was a growth area. Supposedly they were dealing in legal markets, but as far back as 2016, short sellers started jumping on this company like the accounting's not right. Something doesn't add up. They have these international businesses. No one can find out how they're actually running these companies. They just, it wasn't right. And so short sellers starting writing these reports, just like they have on Tesla for years and many other companies. And people ignored them. Stock kept going up. Um, as a matter of fact, the Financial Times, known as the FTI, or I know it's the first thing you read in the morning. That's when I get uh, up every yeah. morning. I write the post and the FTI. Yeah, FT. F- yeah. Oh, yeah. FT. Okay. Yeah, the FT. Financial Times wrote an article in 2019 summarizing kind of everything that was going on. What happens after they write that article? The German regulator, one of the regulators, it's called the BAFIN. It's similar to like the FDIC or the SEC here in the U.S. Okay. The Wirecard management convinced the regulators that these short sellers and these FT riders were conspiring against the company. And they're bringing up all this fake information just to drive the share price down to make money off of. And so the regulators banned short selling. So you couldn't short sell. So stock went up, you know, because of that. And the BFIN said, we're, gonna, we're investigating you. So they actually investigated the writers of the article and the short sellers. And all they did was bring up what should have saved people even more money at the time. So the stock at that point, I mean, the, the peak of the company was $27 billion, okay? $27 billion US dollar equivalent. So we're not talking like a Tesla, which is $250 billion at this point, but it's a big company. As a matter of fact, in 2018, the equivalent to the Dow Jones Industrial Average here that has 30 stocks in it, there's something called the DAX 30 over in Germany. This company, Wirecard, was one of the 30 companies in the national German index for the stock market over there. It actually replaced a bank, Commerce Bank. So this thing was beloved. But same thing, charismatic CEO, a board that he kind of controlled. And all along, there's $2 billion that's been missing. So go back to the auditors. Because you would say as a shareholder, like, what do the auditors do? The auditors are the ones that are supposed to watch these companies to make sure that they know what they're doing, right? So Ernst & Young was their auditor for years. And they investigate some things here and there, but I would, they would only give an opinion like, looks, quote, oh, okay to us. Well, the board hired, they made the, the, the short sellers and the regulators made this company hire another auditor, KPMG. And KPMG was tasked with a six-month investigation into 2016 through 2018, reconcile these numbers. Where's this money? Do they have the cash that they say they have, right? They come back in April. So we're talking three months ago. And they said, we can't find, we can't, we can't give an opinion because we cannot get to the bottom of this. So that day, the stock took a hit, right? It should have taken a massive hit, but it didn't take it. My point is you still had time to short the stock. 
it dropped to, you know, let's say 20, 25% that day, right? Let me ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. If you were, if you were in the hedge fund business like you were, yep. would you have your people in this? Yeah, we would have been short the stock for okay, sure. Okay, go on. But we would have lost, again, early because, oh, look what we found in 2016. It went up sixfold from 2016. to So would I have been in it? Maybe. I mean, we would have shorted, I can safely say 100% chance at some point in the life cycle of that company, we'd have been short that stock. No yeah. question, because it's right up our alley. I mean, it's the gambling stuff. That's the stuff that we knew. We could probably figure out the math doesn't work. And they're very smart. But again, these people get shot down. But these short sellers, like you may, people may think they're evil. If you pay attention to them, the best companies that we ever met with, the ones where we were running a hedge fund, if we were short their stock, and even if the management of the company knew that we were short their stock, and maybe it wasn't because we thought the company was a fraud. Maybe we just thought the company was expensive. Or maybe we didn't believe the forecast that they were telling Wall Street investors. You know what? The best managements always met with us, right? If you have nothing to hide and you want to tell your side of the story, come see us or not us. Come see all short sellers and maybe we're wrong. And you know what? Maybe we'll cut. Not only will we cover your stock, maybe we'll go long your stock. Maybe we'll become your biggest fan. So it's not like short sellers. Of course, they're in it to make money. But at the same time, there's something about truth seeking. And like you're, you listen, you're in that business, right? You want to seek the truth. Uh, look what, you know, attorneys do and investigators do. You work with private investigators. You search for it. And when you find it and you think you got something that no bring one it else out. has. Yeah, you, you want to bring it out. And why not? You spend a lot of time and money doing it. You should make money. Anyway, my, my point is this. This thing unraveled over a period of, you know, two months. That's it. You brought down a $24 billion company to zero. The CEO was arrested. All right. He's in prison or he's being held right now. Um, Germany. Germany. Um, and another guy who was basically the operating officer, one of them fled. And then the guy that ran, they're looking for him right now. He's on the run. So maybe you can get some bounty hunters to go find him. And the other guy who ran kind of this Middle Eastern operation where the money was kind of missing, just got arrested also. So now you've got two executives on the run. They're, they're claiming that it was fraud, that they were deceived, which it's all going to come out. But it's embarrassing for the regulators. But investors bought in hook, line, and sinker into this management team, which was, you know, they were salesmen. And, and how you get to a company to that level, it just, this happened before. Like, this is not the first time. So now let's switch it back over to, and I'm sure I'm leaving out some key points, but on the Wirecard story, my point is this. Short sellers that feel like they've missed the opportunity, sometimes it's right in front of you. And even when the information comes right out in front of you, you haven't, yes, the stock goes down 30%. So what? It's still a short. It's going to go down 100%, right? So anyway, so Tesla is now a 250 billion dollar company, right? So it's bigger than Toyota now on the equity side. It's the largest auto bigger company. Bigger than U.S. Steel. Bigger than U.S. Steel, Gecko. Um, oh, that's from, the, that's from, um, that's not Wall Street. That's, that's Godfather. From, Godfather, sorry, bigger than U.S. Steel, sorry. My bad, listen, I should know when you mention it, it's gonna be I'm, Godfather, <laughs> obviously. So same thing, you know, Musk is this character, he kind of controls the board, no one's paying attention. But you know what the crazy thing is? COVID hit and all that, and people have kind of, there's a lot of money trickling into the system, not trickling, flooding into the system, so people buying stocks. But the SEC announced in this last quarter, so in the fourth quarter report in February, sorry, when they announced the quarter report, the SEC is investigating the company for, they can't, they're like certain things they're looking at, they're questioning the financing agreements. The accountants decided that they need to look into audit matters, but no one cared. And I'm not saying that anything major is going to come out of that necessarily, but the regulators are in there. They've been in there for a while. The auditors, their auditors now claim, and if I'm an auditor right now, if I'm Price Waterhouse, Ernst Young, in this case, Price Waterhouse, 
I'm having a partner call. I'm like, guys, is anything out there with any of our companies where we're being deceived? Or do you think there's any chance that short sellers could be right? Have you reconciled everything? And, and listen, maybe the numbers are right on Tesla. I don't think they are. I know the valuation's crazy. My, my point is this, Ira. Like, people buy into a concept of a company and a stock, and they, just, and they, don't, they stop paying attention, and money is flooding. Short interest is at an all-time low in this company right now. It's, it's 15 million shares. It's one day's volume. That's 10% of the float. That's as short as it's ever been since I've been looking at it a long time. And volatility, which measures kind of the value of options, we won't get into on this, but is still very high. So even though the stock's gone up to own puts in this thing, if you own puts, it really hasn't decayed as much as you would have thought it would. And I don't know what's going to happen, Ira. I just know that this is not sustainable. And when people look back on this, like, was it really a $250 billion company? Was it big? It's the 17th biggest company right now in the, United States, in the, in the world by market cap. It's just well, not right. Well, it's look, just not right. Anybody that knows you, and I know you, um, who basically called the mortgage business back in, what was that, 2000 and... Well, it was early, but 2005 it began, but then it didn't happen until late and that's 2007. Why they made, right, and that's why they made the big short. Yeah, and- but... People listen to you back then, they would be millionaires. And if people listen to you again, what you're killed. yelling and screaming and is that Tesla is going to go bye-bye, correct? It will, but it's, you know, it's just, it's tough from, you know, intellectual basis because stocks are going to do what they're going to do. And I've been short a lot of stocks before that have gone up, not to this extent, not to this valuation. I've seen stocks go up fivefold that were, that were shorts that ended up being zeros, but this is something that has detached itself from reality. This has become a story. It's a story stock. It's not a valuation. So how do you short a story? How do you, what makes this story break? Tomorrow, if the SEC says we are, you know, here he is, by the way, mocking the SEC last week. Okay. He, he, you know what? SEC stands for uh, Securities and Exchange Commission. Okay. Thank he, you. no, no, I just let you know. He say blank, Elon's blank. S, three letters, Elon's C, three letters, okay? He mocked him. He then sold short shorts, which he likes to make fun of short sellers like me and other people, on his website for $69, basically 69.420. 420s a reference to when he said the company had a buyout at $420, which got him in, the, in, in heat before. You know who the only person is making money after of all this is our good friend, Alex. Because Alex Spiro is his lawyer. And so longs are going to lose money. Shorts have lost money. I want to be a lawyer because they're probably guaranteed to get paid. But it's just there's something brewing here, it feels like, again. And they delayed the annual meeting. There's a Solar City lawsuit, which is still going to court. And I realize there's so much stuff going on in the world, it's hard to focus. But if you're long this thing, I mean, you cannot sit there and say, I am long this for any. Don't give me a fundamental reason. It doesn't work. You cannot get me to $250 billion. I'm sorry. This is an auto manufacturer. Oh, it's cool. They have some cool stuff. They have some, but it, come on. They make cars in tents. And at the end of the day, it, this is not a real industrial, well-built company. It just isn't. And this, I'm not going to go into the story more than that. But, you know, it's just worth mentioning shorts in general. I mean, Lucent was a $250 billion company, went to zero. Nortel, $230. WorldCom was $180 billion. Things that big can fail. And this is not a too big to fail company because it's not going to like AIG or Lehman where it could take down the system, right? This is just going to be a lot of people left holding the bag. A lot of retail investors are going to start questioning what happened. Anybody anybody out there right now that's listening to our podcast, you're suggesting to do what? I would short the stock, but listen, 
I should have covered the stock, more of the stock when it dropped from the, you know, four or 500 level down to 177 last year. Uh, the problem with shorting a stock, like just like you're catching a criminal, you got him. Like I had Glenn Maxwell in a room. I knew she was in there. And all of a sudden you open the door and there was a magic trick and it's gone. And the stock goes from 177 to 1,300. I mean, wow. that's where we are right now. And there, there are no numbers that justify that. It doesn't matter how many you're producing, 90,000 cars in a quarter or 70 or even 130,000. That's not what this is about. This is something that's gotten carried away. And listen, I don't know when it's going to crack, Ira, but people stay on top of it. And even if you think you've missed it, even when the stock drops from 1,300 to 600, you haven't missed it. It was at 700 a month ago or six weeks ago when he said, stock's too high in my opinion. Elon Musk came out and said the stock's too rich, in my opinion. So he's manipulating the stock. Well, he's always manipulated. But the point is that they put up these numbers. Are they real? Maybe. I mean, is anyone going to do a forensic accounting of these deliveries and accounts receivable and the tax credits that they get and the solar city? I don't know. But it, it will be written about for years. And, you know, apologies to people that have been shorted. Uh, you know, it's been, uh, but you got to trade it and you got to be smart about it. And um, there's still an opportunity there. So I want to go back to you for a minute. Um, I want to talk about the issue like in New York City right now. I mean, it just some of the big cities in general, everyone wants police reform. I get it. Like, yes. it, it, but it takes a long time to instill that. But I like the police to, as far as makes me feel secure and protect me. Yes, there's horrible policemen out there. You've dealt with some of these people. I, horrible. I, I agree. What's the answer here, Ira? I mean, you can't just announce the, I don't think, I think people misunderstand defunding versus less funding and and a little bit more control. So I'd love to hear your opinion on it. You've, you've been on the ground for years in this. So Well, look, I am boots on the ground and I am in a business that um, I bail people out and I meet a lot of different people and I meet a lot of good people. And I meet a lot of bad people. In every business, you're going to find good people and bad people. Um, look, um, the police department in New York City, which is probably the largest police department in uh, the United States, the 36,000 police officers. Now, is every single one of them good? No, they're not. There, there's a lot of them that, you know, once they get their gun, once they get their badge, they change. Um, and, you know, it, for whatever reason, it becomes a power, uh, a power situation. Now, my opinion, I think we need to train police officers a little bit more. Um, I think there should be more psychological exams for police officers before they get on the force. And, I think there should be a lot more police really interacting with the community and getting out there a little bit more than basically doing their job and going home. And um, what's going on right now all over the country is, is a terrible situation because nobody wins. That's the situation. Nobody wins. I want justice. I want justice. A man should not kneel on somebody for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You shouldn't do that. Um, you shouldn't kneel other, on them for a minute. I mean, they shouldn't, that, that should never be used. So. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, but, and everybody's going to tell backstories and this and that. Look, there's a lot of backstories to that. You know, did they know each other? Allegedly, they knew each other. Um, you know, how many, how many times was this police officer written up? Uh, does the union back the police officers too much? There's so many different, you know, answers and so many different stories. But you can't defund the police officers. I mean, they're here to protect us. And, you know, it's funny. I've, I've heard a lot of different stories. But, you know, I, I, one thing I was reading the other day is somebody yelled, 
you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, people were going wild in his community. He goes, call the police. So, you know, you got to watch what you, you know, what you wish for, because if you get it, people are not going to be very happy with it. Um, as, as a person has boots on the ground, I believe that we have to work together. You know, we, we, we are the United States of America and, and we need to work together and we need to do and get it right. I said it on Dr. Oz. I was on Dr. Oz the other day. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I was on Dr. Oz the other day talking about bail reform. And the one thing I, 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 I hang my hat on is they talked about how do we fix bail reform? And, and I said, you know, if you watch the NFL, they have what is called instant replay. That means they stop the game, they go to the replay, and they say, was this guy inbounds? Was he out of bounds? Was that a fumble? Was it not a fumble? Did the ball hit the ground? Did the ball not hit the ground? So you're getting it right. And that's where we need to do as, as a country is get it right and, and figure out whether it's body cams, whether, whether we interact with the communities, but we have to get it right. And I think it's going to take some time. And I think it's going to take a lot of people getting out there, getting into a room, listening, understanding, opening up and saying, Hey, you know, we could do this and we could do it together. And so the answer is not just go all the way right and not go all the way left. Let's meet in the middle. And we've talked about prison reform many times. We've had people on the show talking about it. It really spills over and it's the same system, right? It's the same. You go into prison, you have, you know, you're not treated well in there. There's a whole world in there of, of people that have to stay alive and and it's just a whole nother fight on the hands in there too. So it's the entire justice system. And this has been a long time coming and I hope it's done right. And it's going to take a long time to your point, you training. And is it at the police academy level? What level is this, is this done at? And I just think people need to be patient, understand that it's not going to be fixed overnight, but acknowledge the, the massive rate problems that are in the system. Absolutely. If you acknowledge, look, I mean, when you're an alcoholic or you're, or if you're a gambler, what's the first thing you have to do? You have to acknowledge you have a problem. Right. So we, 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 let's acknowledge that we have a problem out there, but it's not with everybody, okay? It, it, it's not something that can't be fixed. Again, if, like I said, if there's 36,000 police officers, maybe there's four or 500 of police officers that don't really understand that just having a gun and a badge gives you the right to be like you're in the wild, wild west. But it takes so, more than one, but it takes, as you know, you're, you're talking about like an individual problem. If I have a gambling problem or drinking problem, other people may be a little bit complicit or enable you, but cops can call out other cops. And that's the other, you know, the honor system of the cops. Like, say something. Like, these, I know how hard, it's easier said than done. I get it. There's an honor code and all that jazz. But that's got to change, right? Because uh, there is a systemic issue. And it's not in every town. And it's not in every precinct. It's not everywhere. But it, it's bad that it's happening like this. But it's a long time coming. And I'm, I know you are completely supportive of overhauling things to make things more fair and just. And so I'm hoping that you're going to be involved in this and, and many, you already have been in many capacities. You're going to be a voice of reason and whatever I can do to help move that along. Uh, let's, you know, let's be a voice on this show for that. And, and so it's an, you get, it, it's, it's, it's upsetting what's happening, but it's an opportunity at the same time. So, well, look, look I have uh, I have friends, a lot of friends that are police officers and guys I love and guys I respect. I mean, I have coffee, uh, you know, while this pandemic was going on with a, a very, good police officer, a guy that was very much into the community, a guy that was a, a motivational speaker, a guy that's what is called a, a police officer inside the high school who reaches out to these students and, you know, and, and they could go to him. If there's, and that guy is, is, is a police officer that I admire and a guy that you want on the streets because, look, he's going he, to be here to protect and serve. 
and yet he is a voice of reason and understands that, you know, just because I have a badge, just because I have a badge, that doesn't give me the right that I could just do what I want when I want and be backed up by whoever I want. And look, but they take their lives every day in their own hands when they leave in the morning. They get yep. up in the morning and they leave and, you know, God forbid, you know, they might not see their children when they come home at night. So there's always so many different sides to everything. And, right. and I just want to see it get, I want it, to, I want it to be done right. And look, as a bail bondsman, I, I meet a lot of people and I'll be the first one to say, and people walk in my office and everybody thinks they're bad people. Well, sometimes good people make bad mistakes. And sometimes people, you know, they ask me on the Dr. Oz show, do you, how do you feel, Ira, that you're taking this bad guy? I go, I don't feel about that. I feel about the people that I didn't take out that might have been innocent and right. have to sit in jail and languish in jail that might be innocent that I decided to become judge and jury on. So again, yep. you know, as a, as a voice here, as, as a show that we have, um, I only could say that, you know, we are the United States of America. We, we can get it right. I said, again, let's just sit down, let everything kind of, you know, let the dust clear. Let's get the right cooler heads in a room and let's figure this out so we can move forward and we can get it right. Right. And this is something you've done at the local level. So people in their community should get involved and, and, help this situation. And, um, so anyway, I don't like to get heavy on the show and talk about those things, but it's important. And listen, it affects everything in life. I mean, without a, without a proper police group or somebody protecting us, all that, the asset values of everything go down, which I know is secondary to people's safety, but it's, it's all one environment that we all have to coexist. And so I, I saw during the looting, I saw people sitting outside Saks Fifth Avenue with, Armed guys with dogs, okay? That was Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. That should not be. That should not be. Yeah, no, I understand. So um, for, the, for the people that were protesting and protesting the right way, that, that's the way you do it. Not the other side where you take that as a platform to go in and loot and steal. That's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think everyone agrees with that. Well, great. Well, with that, Ira, I know we got some other fun guests that are going to be coming up soon on our next episode. So... Yes. Hang tight for that. But for now, that'll do it for this episode. Bail Street, I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson. We'll catch you next time. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Bail Street. You can subscribe to our podcast at bailstreet.com or any other service that you use to download podcasts. We'll see you next time on Bail Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Jettleson.